I'm Dwayne Stinson, the Associate Director of Influencing Ministries at the Virginia Annual Conference. Our next several weeks, the conference hopes to provide a series of podcasts and webinars to help local churches move from the pre-COVID and COVID world into the post-COVID church. And so we're excited today to have with us Jim Griffith and Paul Nickerson, who are going to be helping us think about how we relaunch our churches this year. Jim is the founder of Griffith Coaching and began his ministry by starting new churches to reach new people. He started five churches in Florida, North Carolina, and Denver, Colorado. And drawing on his experience, he has now served as a resource for thousands of potential planters and for church planters, and has coached hundreds of new churches. Griffith Coaching focuses on training and coaching churches of all ages in their efforts to reach the mission field where they are. And Paul, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Paul over the last few months as a coach for some of our Virginia Annual Conference church planters. Paul is a senior associate at Griffith Coaching and offers workshops for churches on subjects ranging from church assessments to stewardship growth to a range of leadership development topics. Paul also serves as a coach to a number of our pastors and churches here in this conference and across the country, and I'm fortunate to have connected with him and thank him for all of his hard work with the Virginia Annual Conference, and most recently, he has been focused on helping churches emerge from COVID, and so gentlemen, thank you both for being with us. I keep hearing from church planters that right now, every church is a church plant, so do you believe that's true? Uh, in one sense, yes, I, I do think it's true. Uh, the differentiation, Duane, would be that existing churches have a long history. You know, church plants kind of arise out of either a congregation that's doing a, a distant uh, plant or, you know, just a parachute drop type church plant. So they have no history and no and uh, very few people have been involved with it for uh, emotionally for any length of time. Existing churches, uh, of course, uh, many of the members have been there for some time. Uh, it has a history in the community, those kinds of things. When people say, well, we need to start and act like a new church, what, uh, what they really mean, uh, at least in our definition of it, as we've talked about it, is that they have an opportunity. Um, in a sense, the, a pause button has put on, been put on our culture. And it's been put on every organization in our, in our culture as well, including the church. So the church leaders have an opportunity to step back and to say, okay, uh, if we were just starting over, if we were just starting a new church uh, with the resources we have, the people we have, the, the, the facilities we have, the budget we have, if we were going to start a new church, what, uh, what would we do? What, what changes would we uh, begin to pursue? What directions would we look at? And by stepping back, many of the churches that Paul and I, uh, that you mentioned beforehand, many of the existing churches, what they've discovered is, uh, wow, you know, we had some things that we didn't really need to spend that much energy on. But at the same time, we've noticed new people in our area, and what can we do to reach them? So in terms of that, a new church, and it's a narrative that uh, churches are doing. Uh, I'm a Wall Street Journal fan, I will confess uh, to people. And in, uh, in uh, October of 2020, 
there was a, a meeting that uh, that large companies had, organizations had, and one of the uh, one of the representatives said that that those companies that have fared the best through the pandemic and maintaining morale have cultivated the outlook of a whole new company. They're pretending that they're startups. No matter how much success they've had in the past, no matter how big they are, they're saying, okay, this is day one and uh, this is what, what do we need to do. So, so it's more the mentality that a new church start can bring to existing congregations that we're talking about. So what are some strategies a church could use to think of itself as launching or relaunching their ministry? Well, first, the first one would be just that they, uh, that they, that they view their congregation, that the pastor views the and leaders view the congregation, not as members, but as as a, as a new launch team of people. And in fact, they, the members developed some pretty good habits over the uh, over pandemic that Paul can talk about more specifically, but primarily it's looking at the members as not just, okay, what's for us, but okay, these are launch team members to start a, you know, to go back into the community. What could we do? And that's where Paul can really add to it. Well, that seems like a really healthy approach because it empowers the laity of the congregation to own the ministry of outreach. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and they've done that. We've seen that with the online, with the growth of online worship, you know, how many people have invited each other, have friends. And, and Dwayne, that's really one of the, the key dynamics in relaunch is thinking through how churches will do hybrid worship as, as they reopen their buildings again. Uh, one of the silver linings of the coronavirus was that for many churches, they realized there's a whole other mission field out there online. Uh, and so many of our churches 15 months ago had to scramble to get online. But when they did it, they discovered all sorts of people were tuning in to their worship services and other activities. Uh, people who might never have walked into the buildings. So many churches over these last 15 months have experienced uh, greater numbers of people in worship than they had pre-COVID, but they're online, and more people downloading the services during the week that follows, and so it's a mission field we don't want to abandon, obviously, as our buildings reopen, and so we want to look at how can we do some hybrid worship, uh, continuing to, to meet online needs as we open up with some in-person worship as well. And yeah, one and one one of the real learnings that we had early on, Dwayne, that church that pastors uh, were uh, pleasantly surprised by, is that in the new people workshops with many of the Virginia churches have participated in, one of the biggest hurdles was getting the lay people to actually use their elbow and bring a person to the physical plant. I mean. You know, we bribed them, we, you know, shamed them, we, we did everything we could to try, and, and the pastors, that still was, was a big hurdle. During COVID, what was so surprising was how willing most lay people were, uh, given the opportunity to invite a friend to a Facebook, to view a Facebook, uh, you know, a live feed or what, whatever feed the churches had, they had no problem texting them or sending them an invite to do that. In fact, thousands and thousands across the country of people that have affiliated now with, with some 
Christian community have done so because of a text invite, not the physical invite, which tells me that, you know, probably Paul and I are so dated that all we were thinking was a physical invite would work. When in fact, what we're seeing is, you know, anybody under 30, you know, the idea of a physical touch is, is kind of important. So the idea of digitally and, and getting online has really been uh, quite, quite a fascinating to us as we've seen that. And we've got, you know, we've seen 60, 70, 80 year olds, you know, get on Facebook. Oh my gosh. Now, again, in the past, it used to be a tool of Satan. Now, thank God for Facebook, you know, so and, and they're, uh, as grandparents, are able to visit with their grandkids, but they're also able to, to invite their friends to join them in worship uh, at their church, which has been fantastic. And of course, the reverse of that is that the online people had a chance to check out the church from the safety of their kitchen or living room, which was a lot <laughs> easier than walking into a strange building full of a room full of people you know they didn't know. So it, it's been much easier both for the inviter and the invitee. Yeah. Uh, to do that. Um, it is. It's a much safer way to explore a church. You don't even have to sign in if you don't want to. So you can be completely anonymous as you investigate churches. Yeah. Um, so Paul, I know you've done a lot of work as you think about what it looks like to relaunch. Mm -hmm. um, I know you've been really thinking along the lines that when a church plant launches, there's usually a date when the ministry kicks off for the first time. And I, I, I know you've been thinking that churches, even existing churches should really be planning their own launch. Uh, and so I'd love to hear more about what you two think about what should go into relaunching a church as if it's a new church start. Sure, and, uh, and Jim, maybe you wanna start off talking a little bit about uh, kind of the soft launch and what some new churches do to get ready to do that, that grand reopening? Sure. Uh, really, when, uh, and the church planners will be familiar with this language, Dwayne, but for existing churches, when we, when, we, when we talk about a new church launching, we don't mean, you know, the pastor gets appointed, shows up July 1st and July 8th or whatever, uh, you know, they're meeting in a cafeteria with 200 people because that, that's just not happening. So there is a there is a kind of a groundswell. There's a phase of how you reopen, how you launch a church, and and many many of the existing churches will want to think through some sort of phasing in. It's not just going to be all the same. You know, many churches that are meeting now still only have 25 percent, or only allowed 25 percent in the building, and and those kind of things. But one of the things that they can do as they realize, okay, in Virginia, it looks like probably, let's say, I'm, I'm using it just a, a number out of my head now. Let's say October, everybody's, you know, gone back to school, things are going well, okay, and, and a church in June is beginning to anticipate, say, okay, we're going to start in October, you know, we're going to really do a grand opening in October, all right, so you want to maybe use July and August, especially August as kids are going back to school and things, you might want to, you know, either you know, go through the community, either uh, mailing a lot of Facebook advertisement, digital media, you know, the kind of thing, because people have pretty much now been converted to digital media. You know, those that were slow to adopt it, now, you know, the, the, that last part of the innovation curve, uh, they're in. So some sort of advertisement kind of thing. And then what we call in church planning language, a soft launch, so that, that the church reopens, well, if they haven't been in the facility for a year, a year and a half, 
The nursery might, you know, they might need to think through, okay, are we gonna have children? How's it gonna work? What, what, proto, what uh, health protocols are we gonna have in play? All those kind of things. It's almost like when you reopen, when you grand opening of a store, they don't, they, they gradually open. They don't do a big splash. So I always say four to six, eight weeks of just getting used to the facility again, the members coming back and kind of getting reacquainted and everything. Then that second phase, the grand opening is when you want to invite, if there's an online community that is local, that's when they want to start, you want to open and you want to have about a four week grand opening, not one date, but the month. Okay, we're going to take the month of all, this is our grand opening because again, you're going to have members still filtering back and, and people that have joined online that haven't been to a church in a while, it's not like they're going to start physically attending every week. You know, most church planters will tell you that if they can get newcomers to come between 12 and 15 times a year, that first year, who, who have been, you know, really brutalized by the church or not, their habit is not going they're happy campers, but that means you got to have a lot of people to get critical mass. So that's the great thing about existing churches. They have in a sense, a critical mass, and then you're adding to it. Well, again, you're using, you're leveraging the existing congregation as a launch team. Absolutely. To really prepare the site for, to be welcoming to the guests that you invite. Correct. So take that time to get settled into the building reacquaint yourself, make sure that the, the cobwebs are brushed away and the nursery is clean and clear, and then, then reach out and invite people in. And that's really what you're saying is use that, again, use that congregation as if they're launching a new church into the community outside. Along those same lines, you're also, re, you're meeting with your ministry directors, children's ministry, hospitality slash guest services people, and saying, you know, what, what things do we want to bring back when we open up? What things can we leave behind? You know, and where do we really need to sharpen up? In other words, that, that's going to be a big piece. So, so ministry directors should be, you know, can meet between now and, you know, the end of the summer, they're thinking through what, what's it going to look like? Talk with the worship people, you know, because music, music, uh, are we going to be singing? Are we going to be doing that? These are all things that they've got to revisit. Because what we're seeing is that just a live stream of somebody, as Paul is, is always kind of jokes about, nobody wants to sit there for five minutes and watch offering plate go, go by. And that's, and that's one of the big pieces to really think through, particularly for the churches that are going to be doing a live stream, a simultaneous, in-person and online simultaneously. There's a whole bunch of things to think through. And that, and that, that period over the summer is a great time to practice that. Because yep. there are some things, as Jim said, that uh, that you can do in person that do not translate online. The offering doesn't translate well. Fifteen minutes serving communion does not translate online. Um, singing a whole bunch of hymns, which we love to do when we're in the worship center with other people, people don't sing at home the same way. To, and people have gotten used to much shorter worship services online. Um, you know, if I'm in if I'm in your worship center, I'm kind of a captive audience for 60 minutes. If you're online, I can I can click off at any time. So churches are really having to think through. Some churches are doing going to do shorter worship services when they return. 
Some are going to segment it, maybe do some in-person things early on, like at 10 o'clock and then at 10.15, the online service begins with, with the critical pieces of sermon and prayer and scripture. And then maybe announcements and communion come after the, you know, the online people have gone off. And so there's different ways of segmenting it to make it possible. Um, other churches are going to have an online host who will come in periodically and do some things with the online people while the in-person people are doing the offering and the communion. They may show a video or talk about how the offering is used and they go back and forth. So churches have to really think this through right along just with all the basics of lighting, cameras, microphones. Um, you know, pre-COVID, a lot of churches that were, were taping their services would have one camera in the balcony. Um, well, try to do that now. It doesn't work very effectively. If I'm online, I don't want to watch a congregation worship. I want to be, wor be worshiping with them. So I want some close-ups of the pastor. I want the pastor looking at me at times. You know, if, if I'm preaching and the whole time you're online and I'm looking like this, that's not going to be very effective. So even learning how to speak into a camera and speak to a, a live congregation, all of that's going to take some practice and some time. And really, it helps if the church can work out the kinks, as Jim said, before they do, you know, the whole month of grand reopening. What I appreciate about what you just said is that it doesn't say you can't have simultaneous webcast and live worship. It's just that you need to be strategic about what's happening for the online congregation yes. when things are happening with the in-person congregation. And that may require reordering your worship service, or it may require having some video clips that are primed and ready to broadcast. So yeah. I think that's, that's really a wise and insightful piece of advice there. Thank you for that. So what do you think the grand reopening looks like? What does a grand reopening look like when you get to that point? Uh, well, I, ahead, uh, <laughs> I've, I've prefaced everything, you know, I mean, um, Anybody who's been anybody who uh, makes a prediction in my uh, in my world, I I just I would not pay attention to them. I, mean, I just I think we have to be very careful because uh, each has a context, and I I don't even talk. You know, there's a lot of discussion, Dwayne, about the new normal. My I, I've kind of correct I I correct that. I say I think it's we're talking about what's going to be the next normal because the next normal is not going to stay forever. It's going to morph. And so I would say that uh, this is where the leadership wants to keep it simple. You know, when, when you think about a church plant, they don't, you know, they, they don't have a long menu. They just say, what are the essentials that are critical to vitality in walking with the Lord Jesus? And what are the essentials there? They don't worry about having all these other things because they know that unchurched people or people that are returning to church, they don't come in saying with a long list. They just want to know, okay, we, we're, we're, we're thinking, we're being tugged to investigate the teachings of Jesus. Our, we're not sure if you're going to like our kids. You're not sure if you're going to welcome us. Uh, that, that's about all they're asking. They don't say what version of the Bible to use, what kind of Sunday school curriculum. So keeping it very simple, I can say with some certainty that simple is good right now. Let me also add, 
Simple is not forever. It's just for now. So I would say when you reopen, uh, there are oftentimes service, people are saying, are we going to still have four services or two services or whatever? Are we going to have one that's more, you know, classical hymnology? Are we going to have and modern music in the other? And I'm even so bold as to say, well, maybe you should just combine them for a service for a while, you know, and just because to keep it simple, there's a there's going to be a, enough going on that happens. So that would probably be my uh, word of advice at this stage. And then revisit as time go as 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 things reopen longer and there's more confidence in the culture, then you say, okay, what do we want to add next? But you also mentioned even in the very beginning that churches have used this or could have used this time to figure out where their energy was being expended in ways that were not productive for the kingdom. And so this is a chance just because simple doesn't have to last forever. It doesn't mean you have to go back to the full scale of what you were doing pre-COVID too. Is that right? That's, that's exactly right. I mean, I mean, the standard joke I always use with churches is, you know, I know we've done the Butter Festival for 40 years, but is it really effective, you know, and is this a great time to let it go? And I, I tell church leaders, you know, blame it on COVID. Gee, we, we couldn't do the Butter Festival this last year because of COVID, and, you know, and maybe we didn't miss it so much, and we can let it go. And, uh, and doing the things that we've learned with online people over these last 15 months and, and what they need and what connects them to the good news. Uh, and those are really some of the starting places. And, uh, and so I think, I think it's a great time to, for, for leadership to kind of look at what they're doing. And, and as Jim said, keep it simple and do the things that really help people connect and build relationships and help people take their next step of faith. I mean, having, having coached these pastors, we, Paul and I both know intimately that that the volunteer pool went really shrunk. Okay, so when you talk about reopening, uh, the, the pool is small already just to make the Sunday morning service work. Okay, so to Paul's point, when you start talking about, you know, the butter, what do you call it, Paul? The, the butter festival. <laughs> the butter festival and, you know, the apple pie festival or this, that takes a lot of volunteer resources that, that maybe, uh, you know, three people were running, but they're not there anymore, you know? Should you leave it alone? And I always say, yes, leave it alone. It just say, you know, we'd love to have it. Who is going to staff that? And so, so I know that Paul and I are doing a lot of pastoral care with the pastors because the pastors inadvertently, they start taking that on their own shoulders and try to make it happen because they don't want to disappoint, you know, some member that has always wanted to know about the butter festival. So uh, this is where we're coming. We're very much aware that the, the resource pool has shrunk for people to volunteer weekly. I mean, now it's like the volunteer, a one and done kind of thing is what we're seeing. And, and, and many of the churches I'm working with are now looking towards high schools and colleges to recruit some tech people. You know, <laughs> it, it was one thing, you know, a year ago, March, when we had immediately go online, sometimes pastors were trying to fill in for a while or one lay person, and you can do that for short term, but in the long term, you get really exhausted. So many churches are re restructuring their staff or finding someone, an intern that you can hire for, for very short money, 
who, who kind of breathes this stuff. I joke with churches, you know, pray for that 18 year old who, who's grown up with this stuff and, and can help you with this. And, and, and so you can focus on the content and let them take care of the technology in all of this. And uh, so a lot of churches are doing that in this transition as well. Yeah, which is also quite, quite an opportunity. Go ahead, Jim. But yes, just to underscore that, been quite a shift in staffing. The, 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 tech, the tech person that understands the software and can make these things work is absolutely invaluable if you're going to continue your online community. I would also put in a word that many churches are, are recruiting someone who can be an online host for all of the online community. Someone who welcomes them at the beginning of the service, who encourages people to identify themselves in the chat room or on the website, um, who, who follows up with new people who have, have joined online. Uh, I saw a video clip of one church and they had a person come on and said, hello, I'm your online campus pastor. And here's what's going to happen in worship today. In a few minutes, you know, Reverend so-and-so will be preaching on hope and you will have a couple of songs and a prayer. I'll be back to join you later on uh, to talk with you some more. Here's how you can say hello. And they, here's our app where you can text in. Here's the chat room. Here's a connect card on our website. Um, and I just think it's just so important that we have you know, good hospitality for the, that online community, just as we're thinking about the, host, the guest hospitality when people can return in person you know, to the worship centers as well. You really need the same kind of greeting and attention for the online community as you need for the for the virtual yeah for the for the physical uh, in person community right absolutely and you know of course in the the key is you know the goal isn't to have a, a growing number of viewers the goal is to have a growing number of disciples and yeah. so we and the first step is for someone to identify themselves so an online host can post questions that revolve around the around the theme of the of the worship that day. Um, encouraging people, uh, even just be fun stuff, you know, that again, because once people identify themselves, we can respond and begin a relationship. Um, there's even one church at, at Christmas time, they did a beautiful job with it. They invited online people to, you know, post on the chat room um, the best gift you ever got at Christmas. And it got, you know, it was a very simple question. A lot of people responded. They fed some of those responses to the pastor who shared them at the beginning of his sermon and, and said, and name people, well, Agnes, that was a great gift you got, you know, and Sally, you know, something in today. And they said, and now let me tell you about the greatest gift of all. And he went into his Christmas message, you know, and that was really great to involve some of the people, but the online person made that possible. I've got chills from that. What it, what it makes me think of is that people who are engaging with the congregation online still want to engage and they are seeking relationship. It may be at a distance to some extent, but they're still seeking connection and relationship. So we can't assume that if you're in person, you're coming here because you want a relationship, but if you're online, you want to be completely passive. I think you're recognizing that people are seeking relationship with the church and with God uh, when they show up for your online community. Amen. Absolutely. That's correct. Well, what, what, we, what we have seen, Dwayne, is that proximity does not equal intimacy. 
So let me give you an example. I mean, my wife and I, uh, my wife is an elder in the Florida conference and she works side by side with me in our, in our coaching. And, you know, she, so she and I, as well as Paul, over the last 10, 15 years, we've been in, a, you know, probably average 15, 20 churches a year that we're in on Sunday morning. And in your typical church, you know, they have some sort of meet and greet, you know, say hello to, you know, Stan, you know, when you're staying, say hello to your neighbor, you know, this and that. Okay. So you turn and you shake hands with somebody. Proximity, right? Now, uh, Kim also started another company where she's doing stuff with StrengthsFinder. And, and as a result of that, she got involved with a female entrepreneur group that is global in nature. And she has an accountability partner that lives uh, 60 minutes north of London, England. She's been meeting with her regularly for the last 15 months. I would suggest to you that this woman who is an eight hour plane flight away from Orlando has a much more intimate relationship with my wife than my wife sitting in church next to a complete stranger. And so what the online community is, is it's not like, okay, let's get them to the online and then get them in church. No, online is their church. And this is what some churches are making this shift, understanding that other churches probably shouldn't make that shift. They should, you know, record their service, play it. They don't have the resources to do others. But to Paul's point, having an online host who functions in a sense in a pastoral role you know, and begins to do that. I mean, many of the small group church plants had no problem adapting to Zoom rooms because they were already in small groups. They just went, they just moved to the Zoom room. So what we're seeing is that what, what the pandemic did was accelerate or amplify strengths and weaknesses. You know, it's just, so that to me is the issue that understanding the, on, the, 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 the pull of online you know, now many of the veteran members, they say, you know, I can't wait to get back to church and, you know, to gather and have coffee and stuff like that. But attending church and having coffee are going to be two completely different issues when it comes back to this kind of thing. And, and many of the veteran members, for them, a high value is proximity. But when you talk to the under 40 crowd and the under 25 crowd, proximity is not that big of a pull. It's how am I going to connect? So to Paul's point about the online host, they feel a connection with that host. They don't just feel like, oh, he knows my name. They're connected. It reminds me a little bit of the online gaming culture where <laughs> people will join an online gaming community and they feel like those are their closest friends. And right. that is legitimate community for them. I'm coaching a church planter in Western North Carolina conference. His his, his target audience is our geeks, gamers, and nerds, and they will never meet physically. They're, they, he already, he's developed an online uh, church plan. Paul, you were, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Were no, talking. no, I was just, I was going to give a, a Virginia conference example, and one, Dwayne, that you know well, New Life International, um, Pastor John Obang has a group of young adults that he meets with on Sunday afternoons, and they're all located in Europe and Africa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and just and that is a group, and they are part of that church. And that church just received a new family and membership from Utah. Think about yeah. it. You know, what's the mission field today? It's a whole different ballgame. So, Dwayne, this is what we mean by we talk about a new start mentality. See, existing churches 
are having a hard time getting their arms around what we just talked about for the last 15 minutes or 10 minutes, okay? Because they're coming at it from a history of proximity and physical presence. New church starts that have happened in the last two or three years, they've already adapted. They had digital giving already. They had small group. They had things that, you know, they didn't have to try to make that happen. That's just how you plant churches. Paul, any last words? I think just, you know, to say to churches, just keep innovating, keep, you know, if some of this is trial and error, as Jim said, you know, the, the future is, is unclear for all of us. Nobody's crystal ball is that clear. And, and so I think my biggest fear is that churches will go back into the buildings and try to go back to the way it was pre-COVID. And, uh, and so just even as we get back into our buildings, keep innovating, keep listening to the community around you and what they need and keep trying, you know, technology is going to keep changing, and just keep adapting and praying hard and, and connecting with people in your community. This, this is a tremendous amount of people we can bless, you know, in this, in this, in this new day. Yeah, Jim, any last words from you? Uh, just to, again, uh, I, would, I would convey to the pastors, especially and lay people, to have patience with the opening mm-hmm. and to just keep it, you know, tight and simple and say, this is what we can do for now. I think that's the real thing, not forever, but for now. And understanding what that means uh, as you, you know, kind of reopen. What I hear in both of your words, everything you've said is that we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is at work creating a new thing with us all the time. And we need to be willing to walk along with the Spirit's movement and recognize that that the building is not the church. It's merely a gathering place. Yes. And um, I really am grateful for both of you and for the time you've taken. Um, if any of our listeners and viewers would like to reach out to Jim for some support and coaching, you can reach him at griffithcoaching.com. And Paul is available at nickersoncoaching.com. So gentlemen, thank you again for the time and the wisdom you've shared. And uh, we're all in this together, praying together and hoping together that the church is gonna come out of this better than when we went into this pandemic. So thank you both. Thanks for having us, Dwayne. Yeah. Thanks very much, Dwayne.